Welcome to the Fundraising Elevator, where we're all headed up. This podcast is a production of ElevateNonprofit.com, an online learning platform for fundraising event professionals. We're coming to you today from the studios of the AV department. Please welcome our hosts, Kristen Steele and Samantha Swaim. Hi, friends. Welcome to the Fundraising Elevator, where we're all heading up. Today, we are here to put Kristen Steele in the hot seat and to learn all about storytelling, really the single biggest tool to make sure we're all headed up. Welcome, Kristen. I'm glad you're here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I want to introduce you to the audience a little bit so they know a little bit about your work. So let me do the formal introduction. Great. As a writer and teacher, Kristen Steele partners with nonprofits to increase their impact in fundraising by strategically improving how they tell their story at events. Kristen is the co-owner and creative director of Swaim Strategies and has co-authored the book, Planning a Successful Major Donor Event. She is the backbone of our work, and as a passionate nonprofit advocate, she coaches nonprofits to help organizations generate the change in their communities through their events. Hi, thanks for letting me turn the attention on you today. Thanks. I'm glad Hi. you're here. Glad to be here. Well, your your sort of big magic that you sprinkle into events is storytelling. So I wanted to just start big picture and ask you why. Why storytelling? What's so important about storytelling? So um, without getting too wonky, which I can totally do, um, humans are hardwired to understand the world around them through story. It's how we understand each other. It's how we connect. It's all of those things. Um, and so storytelling for me becomes this really lovely way that we can have a transaction where I see and understand you and yeah. you can see and understand me. And really at some level, that's the point. Podcast done. That sounds Mic right drop. there. Like <laughs> the reason why storytelling is so magical, it's that connection, that yeah. relationship. So I do actually want to have yeah. you get wonky just for a second because sure. I do think that there's something really compelling about understanding just like the brain chemistry of it all. So you can you just explain a little bit about like what happens when we hear story or tell story? What is that sort of magic sauce? Sure. The magic sauce is empathy. Mm. Um, so I think. There, there are two levels of um, storytelling and story listening that happen. There's sort of what happens um, from one person to another, mm -hmm. and then there's what happens in groups. Uh, yeah. So what happens from one person to another is that when I'm taking in a story of somebody's experience feeling scared, that part of my brain lights up as mm. if I am also scared. So this sort of foundational understanding of experience can start to happen. Um, within a group, there was a study out of the UK where folks got wired up to all the magical things that register all of the blips in our body. Heartbeat and monitors. And heartbeat monitor and, and all, all yeah. of the waves of, of energy happening in our body from all our different organs. And they wired folks up. And they put them together in a dark theater watching something on the stage together. And after a period of time, the heartbeats in that room synced. Ah, so disparate people in a room together watching the same story synced up. And what was even better was that syncing up of heartbeats kept going. <laughs> what do you mean by that? They went out to the lobby for refreshments uh -huh. and intermission, still wired up, and that impact continued outside of the theater. So for me, when I look at that, I'm like, wow, 
there's a lot of potent power in the stories that we're telling on that stage and the narratives that we're centering and how we can change hearts and minds and how we can activate people and create lean in. You know, I think that you said on the stage, and I want to talk about that because we use story as sort of the center of our events. But storytelling is really powerful in other ways. And we're seeing that, you know, there's an entire conference just dedicated to the nonprofit storytelling conference because of the fact that it's such a powerful tool in so many different ways. But when we're at an event, it's like the centerpiece of what we're doing. So can you talk to me a little bit about how story shows up on stage for a program? You bet. So um, we really try to sort of create a diversity of experience of story at our events. So in really practical terms, that looks like there's passive storytelling for us happening even before folks walk in the door of the event. Mm -hmm. And um, sort of this the sort of welcome phase for an event for me extends far beyond when folks walk in the door and hit registration. We're sort of planting the seeds of the story and the narrative of what the mission is and what the work is that folks are going to be connecting to and supporting um, well in advance of the event. So like that, what we're trying to do is create the experience that when folks show up to the event, they're ready for what's going to be put in front of them. When you have that sort of really disconnected experience, People have to catch up to the moment before they can even take in what's happening in the moment. But then it, if, if you're on par and that's having resonance for them, giving them information and stories through different channels becomes a really impactful way to sort of grasp different levels of attention. We all have those that sort of pantheon of friends that some people are very like, let's sit down and talk face-to-face for hours and hours and hours. And other folks are like, just text me. And other <laughs> folks are like on their phone watching videos while they're talking to you, right? So we look at all of the, the sort of technology from analog up uh, in terms of pieces that we can engage to sort of keep the attention span of folks, which is diminishing exponentially as a result of sort of what we've just lived through during the pandemic, Um, that video is a really huge thing for us in events because as human beings, specifically here where we sit in America, when you turn out the lights and turn on the screen, people get really quiet and look forward and watch what's happening. And so um, it can't be too long. Mm-hmm. There's a very special sweet spot in terms of duration, and it needs to follow the conventional story arc so that you're riding the wave of how people naturally see story and make story. Like, story is how we make sense of the chaos. It's, we're doing it all the time. Yeah. But story has some fairly conventional, universal structures. And so it's not that you can't break those. It's not that you can't um, sort of shift things around, but you have to know what those are to know what that is. So when you put something in front of people that's one of those universal structures, they're on that roller coaster with you. They're riding that wave without even trying. Yeah, They have to work really hard to work against that because it's it's sort of how they're inclined. It's how their brain works. It's how right. we're wired. So you said a couple of things that I wanted to have into. Great. But you're, you're teeing up an important conversation, which is that arc, that energy. And I think that it's really important that we come back to that. But there were two elements that you just said that I think are sort of a bigger question for nonprofits of how do we do that? So you said the story starts as early as the invitation. And I interestingly have attended events where I've realized I was not teed up well for attending this event. I didn't understand what was expected of me. And 
it's shown up in different ways for me. Sometimes it's that I come and I'm like really formal and the event is not formal and suddenly <laughs> I feel out of place. Mm-hmm. And so my personal experience of that is like I lean out, I don't participate, right. I feel nervous, I feel like, oh, do I not belong here? And then we actually just had a conversation with someone that was saying that um, the event that they just went to had a similar f- sort of feel in which no one totally understood if this was a dinner event or not. And a lot of folks came expecting food and then were hungry and other folks uh, weren't expecting food, ate beforehand, and then was surprised that there was a little bit to eat. And so I think that that how do we tell or prepare tell stories that prepare our guests to participate is a, is a big question I have. Is, yeah. is that just in the invitation? Is it something that we're sending to attendees beforehand? What does that look like? Yes. Okay. Uh, you know, I all. think I think all. I think um you're sort of one of one of the drivers for people in giving and attending and participating in all this is wanting to be a part of something. Mm-hmm. So the quickest way to get them to disengage from participating and giving ultimately, which is why we're inviting them into fundraising events, is to make them feel like they are not a part of something. Yeah. And that happens in a variety of ways. But showing up in the wrong dress for the event is the surest way to do that, right? Also, there's Maslow's hierarchy of needs. So I'm going to go into it being like, especially now, I'm going to finish the sentence here soon, I promise. But like, especially (laughs) as we go into the space of returning to gathering and hybrid formats, we're breaking the mold. And I'm super glad we are. But in doing that, we have to communicate to the folks we're inviting into that space how to participate because no two events are the same. I don't want to say that they all were the same before, but there was was a major donor model that was really centered around tables of 10 and you get dinner at an evening event. And with all the shifts that are happening, that's not always true. So we have to communicate to people what they're going to get and what they can expect. Because if you're not satiating the Maslow's hierarchy of like, am I fed, am I watered, am I comfortable – you will never overcome that and they will never lean into your story and they will never participate. That's the biggest barrier. You can hear a room that's not been fed, get super salty and fired up and not pay any attention to you, no matter how amazing the story on the stage is. So you have to create an environment where the stories can be successful in addition to creating successful stories. Um, In terms of pre-event, you have to talk to people multiple times about your event for them to sort of... So the story is the event. So the story is the event. Ultimately, that's what you're bringing them to, right? And then within that... I, so when we talk about the event arc, the we talk about it in five chapters. Okay. The first chapter is the welcome. Mm-hmm. And for me, so if you think of the arc shape, right, that line kind of arc shape, that welcome is kind of long and flat for a while. And yeah. to me, that is all the pre-event communication. Because ultimately, you're inviting people in and telling them how to participate. So initially, if it's just to save the date, I need to understand like, okay, I'm going to go put this on my calendar now. But I'm only going to put it on my calendar if it's something that feels like it's inviting me in, right? that I want to participate, those things. So I'm not advocating that folks write novels as their pre-event communication, but we have to start thinking about all of those as pages of the book. Yeah, I think Priya Parker says the the event starts the first time you hear about the yeah, event. Yeah, absolutely. You're, I think some people, because we send out 
things with limited response sometimes. People are just like, nobody read that. Nobody paid any attention to it. It's like, no, I totally did. That was only one of your seven touches to get me to action, right? What are your next six? So you're opening all sorts yeah, of amazing know, resources. But you touched on and you started to sort of lead into the arc. And I want to talk yeah. about that. I just want to have you kind of frame what that is. Sure. And then let's take a break and come back and Great. deeper dive into it. So, so let me let me talk about the arc big. And okay. then when, when we sort of circle back, let's talk about it, sort of how it breaks down into pieces. So the big event arc, we all sort of remember maybe middle school uh, literature class where we sort of talked about the flow of, of a story, right? Mm-hmm. And it creates that arc where you're like building energy, building energy, and then there's a peak of energy, and then it just sort of peters. And sometimes it peters and sometimes it falls off a cliff, depending on what's happening. But that build is your event. It should also be your fundraising at mm-hmm. the event, and it should be in line with the natural human energy that's happening in that room. So when those three arcs travel in the same shape at the same time together, nothing's working against each other. Right, right. They should all have the same shape at the same time, and that's when you create the most impact and the most engaged experience. When they're working against each other, you will never have the peak of your of your event be right. as high. So there is there is a common shape, and when we work against that, you can feel that in a room. So let me... Tap into yeah. what you're saying because you just talked about three elements that are creating this arc. And one of them is that like group dynamic, the audience mm-hmm. energy. And so, you know, I think one of the things that we've visited together is that idea that in any classroom, in any gathering, in any party, in any celebration, anytime you gather a group of people together, there's this natural group dynamic that yeah. happens and you can't fight it. Nope. And that group dynamic is very much the same. Now, things can impact it to make it sort of increase its growth or fall off a cliff, so to speak, in energy. But ultimately, we have this environment where folks come in not knowing what's expected of them. They've been sort of fighting the traffic jam. They've been wrapping up the end of their workday. And they're invested in being at your event, but their engagement level is really low. And then the easier they find it to engage, the more that their investment level increases. And they're sort of, you can hear it in the room audibly. You can hear the like increasing conversation and people going to the bar. And all of a sudden you see that people are actually like really engaged in the event. And that energy continues to grow and grow and grow. When it's clear how to participate, it's fun and celebratory. And I understand what's expected of me. That engagement level naturally increases. And then there's just this magic tipping power sort of point of I'm starting to think about my next thing. I'm thinking Mm -hmm. about the next appointment I have to get to, the next day, relieving the babysitter, whatever that is, and that energy level Mm -hmm. decreases. And I think that that group dynamic is the thing that we're magically trying to sort of match the other two dynamics, our fundraising arc and our story arc or event arc into that group dynamic because we can't control the group dynamic. Yep. It's going to happen no matter what. So why don't we design to it so it supports us? Right. And I think it's changed a lot uh, over the pandemic. Yeah. You know, um, sort of, I, I've talked about this a lot and used this a lot, but like my evening journey of an event is to get to soft pants. Right. And there is literally not much you can do to derail me from that. But you can get my time and attention and get some things from me 
over the course of that journey. But right. ultimately, that's where I'm going to end up. It doesn't matter what you do. And so, you know, we used to hold people hostage at galas, right? <laughs> no, I yeah. mean, they would start at five and you would still be there at 11. And you're like, I don't know what's, ha- this is forever. And with the virtual event format, we found 59 minutes was the secret or less was the secret sauce. And that has translated back into how we gather. So programs for yeah. events have truncated significantly. And I think to their benefit, we haven't yeah. lost a thing. I, I do not think we've lost a thing. And I think the things that are happening during event programs now are that much more important because you're utilizing fewer elements yeah. and they carry more weight and they should because the elements we're leaving on that stage are the story of your mission and action and the vision for the future of your organization. If you're telling me much more than that, you're overtelling me things. Yeah. That's what I need to understand in order to really continue to connect with you and to financially support you. So I'm hearing no more boring talking head events. Nope. Nope. They shouldn't have happened in the first place, but especially now. I think think for a long time it was like, we have to have a three-hour program. People have to enjoy their dinner. Don't take a dinner break. Start your program. Keep going. Okay, you're getting into details now, and I want to get really specific into those chapters in a minute. But let's take a pause. We'll come back, and we'll dive deeper into those chapters. At Elevate, we believe in bringing people together. Our online learning platform for fundraising events has webinars, workshops, downloadable tools, and more designed to save you time and stress when planning your next event. We're getting nonprofit, development, and event planning professionals the tools and ideas they need to create events that inspire donors and raise more money. So join us at elevatenonprofit.com. The link is also in our show notes. All right, welcome back. Now let's break down that event arc and talk (laughs) specifics. Sure. Okay, you were just starting to say when the program begins, you don't want to stop. So I want to actually understand what this event arc looks like and how to best design this so that we're maximizing the audience's energy with our fundraising with our program. Great. Okay. Chapter one. Chapter one. I'm in. Okay. So we refer to chapter one as the welcome. Okay. Um, As I was talking about earlier, for me, the welcome extends far earlier than people walking in the door to registration. That's all part of that piece. But welcome is folks showing up, understanding they're in the right place. Your data is good. They're in the computer when they walk up and hand you a credit card to walk into the event. Um, That you're expecting their guest, et cetera, et cetera. You go in and you're, you're welcomed. And I think that welcome can look a bazillion different ways in terms of how that sort of pre-event time is happening, but it's a real opportunity for you to start your mission story. Yeah. So when you clog that pre-event time with a lot of transactional giving, like raffles and games and wine walls and silent auctions and all of those things, that gives folks that as their focal point versus is there an opportunity for you to create an experience of your mission? Now, I'm going to argue for the introvert for a second. Yeah, I am the introvert, so you don't have to argue very hard. But I think the introvert desires the activity because it allows them to have something to do during kind of a registration, social networking time um, that oftentimes I think that we will sort of cut 
something like a silent auction and then hear from a guest that they really missed the silent auction. And I think what they missed was a way to engage. How do you make that sort of a part of your intentional design as part of your event? I think you can have any one of those, but I think we need to move away from having all of them. Oh, sure. Okay. I think there's a saturation point at some point where you're sort of cannibalizing revenue by having all of them. I think the more is, we're moving away from the more is more, right? Pick your your highly engaged activity, but also on the revenue side, something that is less staff time and more bang for your buck and and have that thing for people to be able to participate in. Um, But then also have ways for me to engage with your mission. And that can be as passive as if you have screens in the room, you should have a PowerPoint that's telling your story. Yeah. Showing photos of your mission in action. You're this is priming the pump, right? right? Even if I'm passively taking these pieces in, it's starting to ground me. If I've been a plus one of somebody to your organization's event and I know nothing yeah. about you, and during the pre-funk where I'm sort of wandering around with my glass of sparkling water, I look up and I start to see pictures of kids at summer camp. I go, oh, interesting, right? You know, I I think, and then I start to watch, and then it starts, and again, story, it's how I make sense of chaos. I start building a story, mm-hmm. and I start taking that in, and it's all working on me in a granular level, but I think sometimes there's an opportunity in the social hour to not bring your mission and your work into the room. Yeah. I think also thinking about who's in that room greeting people, mm-hmm. how they're inviting them in, yeah. making them feel welcome, what they're communicating, who they're connecting them to. Like there's a lot of opportunity for people from your organization to be engaging and building relationship and talking about. And that's all part of that story. So welcome can look a lot of different ways and come from a lot of different angles so that I feel like, oh, not only do I feel like I belong here, but I'm starting to understand what's going on. Right. Uh, signage, mm-hmm. it's all part of the welcome. It's all part of the story, right? Don't let me wander, especially as an introvert. Please don't make me work <laughs> to understand where I'm going to go sit in the dark. Like, I just want to be able to go there and find it, right? Yeah, wayfinding is really important. It's Ushers, so escort, important. you know, getting you to your seat, helping you find the room. Yeah. Okay, so now we're like reception time. How do we move our guests into a program? So you should have a host. Mm-hmm. Um, and you should have a person who, when they come into the space on the mic, on stage, on screen, however the format of your event is, they're my connection. They are my wayfinder. Okay. That every time they show up on screen, I go, okay, this person's going to tell me what's happening next and how to go and how to participate. So a host, I it's think, like a narrator. Uh, okay. Yeah. Okay. It's like the narrator. A narrator. Of your, mm-hmm. Great. So that host starts making announcements and moving people. You know, if you're having social hour in one space and your um, your program is happening in another space, um, whether it's seated tables or theater style seating for to watch a program, that people are getting the information they need to understand, like, now is the time to take the seats to move into that space. You can also close bars. That's a really great story message <laughs> for people that this area is no longer open and we're going to move people in. So you move people into your program. And once you have everyone seated. Pause there. Yes. 
Seated. Yes. That's so important. They must be seated. I think I've seen so many people try to have a program while people are standing, and it just tells people the program isn't important, Correct. the socializing is. And honestly, when I've been at events like that, I'm like, stop talking. I'm trying yep. to enjoy myself. So seated, focused audience, yep. I think that's super important. So super important. everyone's seated. Everyone's seated. If they're at tables of 10, Tables of eight, tables of two, whatever that looks like, or theater style is something we're seeing work really, really well for folks because they're locked yeah. and facing forward. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you really have to work to be talking side to side as opposed to looking across at my table mate. It becomes really easy for us to sort of communicate and somebody has their back to the stage, right. right? So I think it's thinking about what those dynamics are in the room and what you want that to look like. Once your MC or host takes the stage and formally starts your program, do not stop. Mm, mm-hmm. uh, I hear a lot of folks where they're like, somebody gets up, they welcome them, and then we take 40 minutes for dinner to be served and to be eaten. Nope. No, I can eat while I'm listening. Make use of my time. I have places we to go. We all know how to Netflix and chill with food, right? right? Like <laughs> this is not something, this is not rocket science. So start your program because you will, that nice arc shape, you will go off the cliff and go straight down when you stop your program. Mm -hmm. And then you have to pick it back up. And you have to work really hard to get back to where you were when you stopped. And then you have to try and move them forward from there. So you're right. already at a loss. Your event will never hit the peak it was going to if you stop. So start your program. Don't stop. Utilize your MC as your narrator that stitches all the pieces together. Your MC is also a great storyteller for you. Mm -hmm. So while you start thinking about your program and who's on stage and who's going to be speaking about your organization, we start to move into the about. So this is section two, chapter two of the five event structure. This is the about, all the information about your organization. Um, folks, you naturally have acquisition even at a major donor event. Mm -hmm. So you have a room full of perhaps a majority of people who know you, love you, donate to you. Sure. But they will bring people who don't because yes. they're excited about you, right? Yeah, I've been one of those guests that I come into an event and I have no idea who the organization is. And I am spending the whole time trying to figure out what I'm there to support. You spend the whole time trying to learn the secret handshake. Right, right, exactly. So we need to teach everybody the secret handshake. So this becomes what that's about. It is also a really great way to reinvigorate your supporters, mm -hmm. to remind them, to update them. Perhaps your work has continued to dynamically change over time, and this becomes a great way to sort of talk to them about who you are today, what that looks like today. So I've heard you use about in two different yep. ways in the same sentence, so I just want to call out. Sure. So chapter two about is about the organization. It's yeah. the message of the yeah. organization. Yeah. Okay, how do you tell that story? So we split it into two parts, mm -hmm. a show and a tell. Okay. Um, the way we often um, suggest folks do this is to think about one of those pieces being a live speaker. Okay. And one of those pieces being a video. Okay. So um, usually that live speaker is the executive director, CEO, the sort visionary. of the visionary, okay. ideally, speaking on behalf of the organization. 
the video piece we call the organizational video becomes a really great way to literally take the room into your work. Mm. So if you think about the video, the show. Okay. So if you think about video as an opportunity to take people inside, you can literally take them inside. Mm-hmm. And we have organizations that aren't available. The work they provide and what they do is not, it's not available for donors to go and see and right. participate in and be a part of. And the video with consent from everyone in it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, uh, is a really great way to take people in. And you also have to think about all the other theatrical elements of video that we right. have at our, our disposal. We have music. Mm-hmm. We have editing, which means all the ums and flubs and pauses and all the things that we naturally do as speakers when we're mm-hmm. feeling nervous can disappear. Yeah, And you can really show people on their best foot. Um, It also gives us the opportunity to um, think about what does narration look like? How do we script a narration that exactly tells the story we want to tell? And then maybe we interview people and we want have staff voices and board voices we want to have on stage. Do we really want all those people on the mic? <laughs> no. So the organizational video becomes a really great way to invite all of those people in to participate and to have this really amazing cohesive piece that can have life outside of the event. Right. Um, that really shows your work in action. And then that is paired up with your executive director, your organizational speaker, mm-hmm doing the tell and showing or talking. I don't want to keep using show because we're just Mm -hmm. talking about that, but telling sort of the vision forward. This is the amazing stuff. And this is our vision forward that really becomes that voice to bring people in and to launch them into what your next chapter is going to be. I think it's important to frame, because not every executive director is a great speaker. So it doesn't always have to be an executive director. Um, And in fact, we've had executive directors that are actually more passionate talking about their mission when they're talking to someone. Yeah. So we've had executive directors in kind of an interview format with the MC because then they can kind of call and respond and just sort of instead of speaking to a speech, they can speak to, you know, questions being asked. Um, But I think it's really important to think about that is not a moment where the executive director is getting up and sort of doing the business of the event. They're not thanking the sponsors. Nope. They're not thanking all the donors. They're not listing the committee members. That That's a moment for the visionary of the organization to help connect the donors to the work. Yep. So really making sure that that is sort of a, a painting the picture of why this work matters and speaking to the why specifically. Yep. And I want to respect that that is a really hard role to fill. Yeah. Um, and and we resort to those easier pieces, right? The like the thank yous and the right. all of the business that feels easier, just like in sort of event design center pieces might feel easier to do pre-event than right. talking to your actual major donors about pre-commits for your special appeal. Um, but that that moment is really, really important. And so the prep work that can go into that moment really can pay off in having um, conversations about what needs to happen in that moment and what that why really is for the speaker on stage. I think when people have a personal connection yeah. to the why, it doesn't. it's not for them to get up and regurgitate word for word the mission of your organization. Right. How do they live 
in the mission of your organization? What is the why of it? And what is the future in their leadership for that mission moving forward? And for you all as an organization moving forward that people lean into and go, oh, I want to get on that train. Yeah. And that moment should feel different from leader to leader. Right. I don't think there's a set prescriptive it must be this for every ED ever. Yeah. Um, it should look different. It should match them as a leader, but it should get to their pa- – I should see why they're passionate. I should see why they care. This yeah. is pa- this is passion-driven work, nonprofit work ideally, right? I, I don't want to get up – see somebody get up there and just be perfunctory. Right. Like they should have some verve about what they're doing and why they're doing it and why we should all be a part of it. That should be – I should be leaning forward at that point. I think we should do an entire episode just on executive director Let's speeches because I think it. it's it is a, a challenging issue for a lot of organizations mm-hmm. is how do we best portray our work and speak from that why yep. and make it compelling and connective to donors. But so if we're sort of building on this arc, what yep. is what is chapter three? How are we moving into the next sure. part of our program? So that lean in is imperative, right? Ideally, people are leaning in because we're we're heading up the hill, right? And chapter three is the fundraising. Okay. So that early in the program. Yeah. Okay. If you've done the pieces right. Great. That's where we're going. I'm in. Because otherwise you're just going to keep repeating those same pieces and some, we're going to keep showing and we're going to keep telling and we're yeah. going to keep showing and we're going to keep telling. Let's give our audience some credit. If we've done it well, they get it. Okay. We've shown them and we've told them and they're like, yep, I'm still with you. So that should be building momentum going into the fundraising. That doesn't mean the next thing you do is say, join us at the $10,000 level. You have to show the impact of your work in a very specific way so that we've taken this big picture that we're painting Mm -hmm. and made it very, very, very specific in terms of people understanding what that impact looks like for an individual. So we call it the special appeal. Mm -hmm. It's called a bunch of different things, paddle paddle raise, fund a need, um, which moves into restricted funding, which Uh we're not fans of, et cetera, et cetera. You can have a live auction component here to to build some of that momentum in the room as well. If that's if that's a piece for your event, this okay. is where some of that can take place. But the special appeal has three parts. Mm-hmm. The story Ooh. has to happen. So that story, your special appeal story, is the story of one person and the impact that has happened in their life as a result of coming into contact with your organization. So how your organization was the change agent for them. That's right. Okay. And so we suggest telling that story in video. Mm-hmm. Again, you've gone from video to a live speaker, a couple live speaker. Your MC is between all these, teeing all these up. So you have more than just those two pieces yeah. happening on stage, right? Um filling in some interstitial sort of information and connection. So we're continuing to tell the story and get people connected. But the special appeal story is the story of one person and the impact on that one person. Doing it in video form is a really compelling way to show their strength and power. Yeah. Um, we really want to center the storyteller. Mm-hmm. Empower them. Empower them. Yeah. Um, you also want to feature a story that has enough of a rear view mirror for them on sort of what that period of time was for them that they're talking about. Yeah. Meaning they need to, if it was more of a traumatic period of time for them or a heightened emotional period mm-hmm. of time for them, they need to be out of that emotional state. Yeah. Um, and they need to be able to reflect 
on it and have some hindsight. That is actually the full arc Mm -hmm. of the story. Otherwise, you're catching them right at the peak, and we don't get the full story. Mm -hmm. And in fact, telling the story can be damaging for them to completing their story. Right. So we tell the story of one person, the impact of the organization on them, ideally in video form, three to five minutes, Mm -hmm. where we understand where they were before, what changed for them, okay, where they are now, and what their vision and hope for their future is. Great. And then we have to actually ask people for money. Call to action. Call to action. Okay. Right? So in an ideal world, mm-hmm. the person whose story I just saw gets invited to stage if we're having a live event in a room, and they ask me for money. Yeah. My emotional connection is to them. And then they show up on stage and I get completely energized. There's something about that, like, I just saw them on screen and now they're in the room. Oh, my. You know, and I keep leaning forward and I'm applauding for them because I just saw this amazing journey of transformation, right? Yeah. And then they say, super simply, please give tonight mm-hmm. and give generously so that this can be available to more people, whatever that is. But they should not retell their story. I saw their story. Let's right. not tell the story twice. They're going to ask for money. And then you have to have a mechanism to collect that money. Okay. So uh, in a room, mm-hmm. we will utilize a benefit auctioneer mm-hmm. to do that collection. Okay. You can do that very actively and with um, great potential with uh, bid cards in the room going level by level, high to low. Okay. And um, so that becomes our fundraising piece. And we also, I'm going to earmark the special appeal is its own probably yeah. three, four part Episode. Episode. Yeah. Um, And then once we're through chapter three, Mm -hmm. which is that fundraising, we start to move into the back part of that arc. So this is where you can start to feel people are like, whoo, great, I gave. Mm -hmm. That's what I was here to do. This is a fundraising event. I understand that, right? They're now looking at their time, babysitters. Yeah. All of the things. My pull the soft pants is strong. Uh You can't fight it. You cannot fight it. So celebrate it. That's chapter four. Celebration. So celebration. So all of those amazing things you want to do to engage people, to entertain people, to honor people. So awards. Okay. Band performances. um, All you know, keynote speakers. Keynote speakers. All of those. This back part becomes where you sequence them because otherwise. If you put it beforehand, it's between what's between you and fundraising and pushing that fundraising to this position on the arc. So timing is really critical. This becomes a celebration. And then the fifth chapter, Mm -hmm. gratitude, 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 gratitude. It's for everybody. It's for your sponsors. It's for everybody for showing up. It's for your staff. It's for your volunteers. It's for your board. Like that becomes that time to send people out feeling seen, a part of something, and thanked. Love it. And those are the five chapters. Okay, so let me just recap real quick. Chapter one, welcome. We're bringing people into the space in a way that feels comfortable. And then we're sitting them down, starting the program. And we have storytelling element number one is that narrator story, the connection that Mm -hmm. the MC has with the organization. Chapter two, we're moving into the story about the work of the organization through two storytelling elements, a video element about the work, and then a speech from an executive director or other leader about the work. Chapter three, we're moving into the fundraising. There's a storytelling element there, which is the special appeal video, that impact story, the client video. 
And then chapter four, we're moving into celebration. And there's mm-hmm. storytelling elements that can be there. But Absolutely. the good news is it's after your fundraising. So if your keynote or your honorees start talking about something off topic, yep. they haven't like changed your arc and trajectory. And this shouldn't be non-sequitur celebration. Like right. This, in a, the in fire best, eater doesn't yes. need to appear. No, the fire yeah. eater or the trapeze artist. But like if it's connected to your mission, if you have a student group that's a performance group, have them perform. That's yeah. it's a continuation of the story of your mission. Like that's how we should look at this section, not just like a free for all of like ah, all the things. Yeah, all the things. Yeah, it shouldn't be that. But it's the celebration. It's the joys. The things yeah. people stick yeah. around for. And then the gratitude is the thank yous. It's kind of the cherry on top. You and we send them off with a big bow on sort of on or invite a great them night. to stick around. And the live band starts, or the DJ starts, right. or whatever. You know how you're winding down after the program is finished. Well, I always think you have that, like, vision of that welcome being a longer tail. I think the celebration also can have a sure. longer tail. Because introverts will go home. Right. And, and you extroverts can stay and I'll hang. stay and dance. You bet. Okay. You bet. Well, we're going to take another short break, and then we'll come back and go for a ride in the elevator. Perfect. The Fundraising Elevator is recorded at the AV Department in Portland, Oregon. For years, they've been our trusted partner, delivering exceptional audiovisual production and videography for nonprofits. In 2020, they transformed into a dynamic live streaming studio, producing more than 900 virtual and hybrid events. Now, we embark on an exciting journey together to bring you this podcast. Seeking the best in live events, video production, and live streaming? We proudly recommend our friends at the AV department. Link in the episode description. Welcome back. I want to get a little bit more detailed into a couple of things that you said. So some of the elements that you talked about, I think, are like always just rife with questions for folks. You talked about video yep. and length of video. Yep. Can you get really specific? Like, what's a good video? Like 25 minutes? Like a micro Three to five. Oh, wait. Three to five minutes. That's it. Just three to five. Three to five. So um, is that true for both video elements? Yes. Okay. What unless, if- unless, so... I mean, as with everything, right? There's a little asterisk. Always, yeah. I think depending on the content for, I'm thinking specifically for the org video, Uh um, sometimes those can stretch a little bit longer. But you got to be really, really sure that you're not duplicating content, that you're on an arc, that you're telling a story, that it's compelling. Um, You're just... The goal is to move people up the arc energetically and in, and continue their engagement. Um, if the piece you're putting in front of them has them engaged and then sends them away, it's not serving its function. Yeah, agree. Um, I think editing can do so much Absolutely. and still have a really rich story. So. You bet. Three to five minutes. Okay, so talk to me a little bit about our MC and sort of not – you said that they're a narrator and they're kind yeah. of holding your hand and walking you through, but – Can you talk to me a little bit about like scripting the MC and what the MC should be prepared to do? So we've had clients that we have asked for their previous year uh, script. Mm -hmm. And it is literally one eight and a half by 11 page with some bullet points on it. Uh (laughs) I actually MC'd an event like that. It was really hard because I couldn't find my way through it. We um, strongly suggest slash require folks to script every word that's said from stage. Yeah, um, It is how you ensure the arc happens. 
It's how you do right by mm-hmm. the people that you have on stage for them to feel fortified to do the job they've asked you've asked them to do. Yeah. It's how you ensure your story gets told as you would tell it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so scripting everything that happens from the stage makes people more comfortable. Your audience yeah. included. When yeah. people are winging it, there's n- I, there's part of me maybe that's there for the train wreck. But when I'm <laughs> watching people wing it from stage, I'm horrified and just waiting for things to derail. And they do because it's a lot to hold. It's a lot. So let's be transparent from the top. I've got a podium script. It's sitting on this podium and we are all using it so that we all get from point A to point B as intended together. So scripting your MC to the word and also scripting the transition for your MC from element to element. So they are acting as your onstage stage manager, essentially, and letting people know what's next will help your AV team know, oh, we're going to video. Right. Will help your next speaker who's getting up to speak go, great, I'm walking up on stage right now because they just invited me to the stage and told the room I'm who's speaking next. Yeah. So- That clarity, it will feel, if you haven't done that, it might feel while you're doing it, like, wow, this is really over the head and really obvious and really clunky. But what it's doing for me as an audience member is you're letting me relax. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I can trust everything's on the rails and I'm going to be told what's happening next, what's happening next, what's happening next. So literally the simplicity of please welcome Kristen to the stage or please turn your attention to the screens. You're speaking like that level of transition. Yep. I as I love that because as a stage manager, you know, my history is in theater and as a trained stage manager, those moments take months to prepare for in a theatrical production of how does that person get on stage and how does that transition occur? And you don't have that in an event scenario. So by having a narrator that's actually sort of walking us through each of those beats and making sure that the person who's sitting in the audience being talked about as our honoree then actually gets invited to the stage assures that that person doesn't look foolish, yep. right? It's It creates ease. It puts people in their best light. Okay, so you said podium script. Yeah. What is a podium script? So uh, when you've written the script mm-hmm. word for word, mm-hmm. the podium script becomes the version of that that's for everyone that's more accessible. So okay. it's bigger font. Okay. Really clean, clear page breaks mm-hmm. by the speaker. For us, we three-hole punch it and put it in a binder and we tab all of the sections according to speaker. So literally the next speaker, we instruct before the event, we do a rehearsal mm-hmm. and we instruct them, you're going to go up, you're going to grab your tab, turn the page. There you go. There's your script. Okay. So we talked about a couple of scripts. We've talked about scripting the whole event and then converting some of that into a podium script. Yep. I also just want to highlight the AV script we talked a little bit about yeah. earlier, taking that same final script product, but then adding in cues like lights up, video plays, lights down, microphones up, so that your AV team can follow along specifically with those beats. I think one of the tricks I want to give to nonprofits is as you're planning your event, set a timeline for when your script is done, a firm deadline, so that then you have the last couple of days to do that final prep where you're printing extra copies, you're developing a podium script, developing an AV script, and they're all cohesive. I think that sometimes we see like, oh, I'm just going to change this and I'm just going to change that. 
totally changes everything else and you have to redo those items. A trick to that, um, I think sometimes within organizations, there is a lot of pushback from the organizational speaker, specifically the executive director who wants to keep tooling their script, right? So clear communication around that. We've locked the script. We're moving forward, making a podium script and an AV script. You are, it's on you to bring your copy of your script when you get on stage to reference. Then that gives them what they need to feel comfortable. Like, I just want to tweak these few things. I'm waiting on this gift. I want to make sure so-and-so's in the room, whatever all those pieces are. But if they bring their own script, that doesn't hold you up from finishing production and getting everybody. Because ideally, you get the script to all of your speakers in advance so that they have time to prep and spend time with it. And if you're waiting until the night before the event for one element to do that, you're disempowering people from understanding and having the story in their body when they get on stage and understand what they're doing. And ask questions. They may have questions. Yeah. You know? The the prep, you just mentioned a couple of things, getting the script to people and time for to prep, that they have time with it. But also time for rehearsal, yep. I think, is an element. We always have about an hour and a half before the event starts. There's a sound check time that is the opportunity to go through, make any like little adjustments and shifts and make sure they're comfortable on the microphone, which is important. So I think that that scripting process is something that should be thought of and not just sort of a last minute um, because there's so many elements hinging on it. Yep. Absolutely. Okay. I want to go for a little ride in our fundraising elevator yep. and head up to the top floor where the penthouse party is happening and ask you, when storytelling is best at a party, can you tell me about an event, a story, a program that you saw that just like sat with you, resonated with you, and it was just like a perfect example of how story in a party can make the party so special? Yeah. So at heart, I like when content dictates form mm-hmm. in terms of stories. So I think um, you can still achieve a story arc, but how the story gets told can change to be unique to your organization, to reflect your work, mm-hmm. um, to be really specific. And so um, the video that comes to mind is um, a video we did with uh, Campfire Columbia a while ago, and it was their organizational video. And um, we they're an organization that has both an after-school sort of education component mm-hmm. to their work with kids, and they also have a summer camp. Okay. And so um, in talking through sort of the organizational video and what they wanted to show mm-hmm. about their work, um, we really wanted to take people into the experience of camp. Mm. They have a donor base that that has gone to camp and is alum are alums of this camp, but they nostalgia also is a powerful, nostalgia is yeah. a really powerful thing. But they also have a donor base that hasn't. Mm-hmm. And so, if we think about that show and taking people into your work and into place, like place making and what that can be, especially because they're a physical location mm-hmm. that not everybody can go to and have that experience with, that we wanted the organizational video to reflect that. And so, um, it's basically all this gorgeous, beautiful B-roll that syncs up with a scripted narration. Yeah. And I've never gone to camp Mm -hmm. as a kid. That's not an experience that I grew up having. And after watching that video, which I think clocks in right around three minutes, it's Mm -hmm. it's not a very long video, I understood the power that camp can have for a kid. And more importantly, 
I understood what the power of camp could have had for a kid like me. Mm, mm, that's powerful. And, and so the idea of galvanizing me as a donor to make that possible for kids like me now, like it, it was just all of those things. And so we didn't have to interview 500 people. We didn't have to name every program. We didn't have to do all of those pieces that right. I sometimes think is the tension between program staff and development staff. It became a really simple Let's tell your story in really sort of elevated, almost poetic language. Mm. And at one point, the narration turns and actually says, I see you, camper. And all of a sudden, that distance between everybody in camp and yeah. everybody and their memory and every, like it just disappeared. And it was so tight and so emotionally powerful. So to me, that's the power of using video and the and what that kind of storytelling can do to really take people inside your mission. So um, I want to make sure that for our listeners yeah. that they know that we have a video version of the same podcast and we'll include that video so Great. people can see that and reflect back on that. So let's head the other direction in the elevator and go mm -hmm. down to the basement mm -hmm. and the boiler room and see how it all works. One of the elements I think nonprofits are constantly struggling with, especially the program side yeah. versus the development side, oftentimes development staff don't know the clients or don't get yeah. to experience the stories. How would you recommend an organization begin to actually gather stories? What is the best practice for sort of creating a resource for storytelling? Um, Creating a culture within your organization of story sharing. Okay. And so whatever those common touch point gatherings are for you, whether they're staff meetings or, um, you know, conversations within smaller groups within your organization's mm -hmm. meetings, start those meetings with what's inspired you about this work mm -hmm. this week. Mm -hmm. And start people talking about the work in action. That's what we're trying to capture, right? That's what a special appeal story is, right. is your work in action, your, your impact and what that is. And so the best way to do that is for me to come in with this story that's been sitting with me for five days that actually like really, it made me tear up, but it also made me so proud of the work I was doing. And it can be this selfish moment, yeah. but share stories of success, both for you in the work and for what you've seen with the folks that you're doing the work with. Right. And that will start to build that trust across some of that divide between program and development staff, but it'll also fill the bank yeah. with stories that maybe you don't know how that program works. Maybe you don't understand, oh, we actually do that. So your education about your own organization expands mm. and the scope of potential stories you can be telling. I mean, some people are like, yeah, we've told that story like five times. It's like, <laughs> yeah, but that's not the only work you do. Right. And the only way to understand the full scope of the work you're doing is engaging the people doing that full scope of work. So I think changing how you start your conversations with each other in meetings to be about the work. Imagine that. Yeah. Like if we're going to have a staff meeting that devolves into a bitch session, that's right. fine. But what if it started with all of us connected? It's that lean in we're asking donors to do in yeah. the room. What if we all got galvanized at the top and we're like, oh, we're awesome. We're doing cool things. That's a great way to start regardless. And also maybe you get three new stories to add to the bank that can show up wherever. They can show up at your event. They can show up in your newsletter. They can show with consent from everybody involved <laughs> and et cetera, et cetera. But I think it's a great way to create some of that shift in that, your success, your work's success 
should be elevated and talked about and your success in your job and where you feel connected, you should share that with people. Yeah. We have an episode coming up that we're going to dive further into storytelling. And one of the things I think that is important that we're going to be covering in that is the ways that we share story among staff, yeah. as well as the ways that we can garner and pull in stories from our clients that feels empowering to yep. our clients. Absolutely. So I think it's important to start thinking about how we create a culture of story of storytelling. And that's a it's a hard thing to think about if you haven't been doing it. So we'll dive further into that. But Kristen, thank you so much yeah. for joining me and sitting in the hot seat. You bet. If folks want to get a hold of you, what's the best way? And you know, how could they engage you? Sure. So um on our website, swamestrategies.com, is my a link to my email, a link to my LinkedIn. Um, feel free to connect with me there. Also, um, you can engage me for storytelling consulting on our website as right. well. I'm happy to chat with anybody about their stories anytime. Excellent. Everybody call Kristen about your storytelling. <laughs> and we'll keep diving into other uh, sort of topics of video, how to create stories, ethical storytelling. But thank you for kicking off the conversation about storytelling. It's such an important tool in our toolbox. So thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in and for being a part of the uh, the journey today on the fundraising elevator. And we'll make sure to share in our show notes a graphic that really shares the arc that Kristen was speaking about today. So thank you. Thank you. The Fundraising Elevator is produced in partnership with Swaim Strategies at the studios of the AV department. The program is produced by April Clark and directed by Steve Osborne with audio engineering and original music by Dwayne Anderson and Heidi Christensen. Video production by Chris Peterson, Whitney Gomes, and Nathan Bouquet. Video editing by Steve Osborne. Graphic design by Pendulum Creative Group and support from Sophia Keller, John Lyles, and Andy Dowsett.